Good evening, everyone. Please take your seats there. It's great to see you all here this evening. We've spent our time in our morning series recently looking at 1 John, and what we're going to do this evening is just to take the next 30 minutes or so looking at 2 John. So turn with me in your Bibles to page 1025. It's towards the end of your Bibles, unsurprisingly, immediately after 1 John. That's John's second letter that he writes that we have in our Bibles. And just as we look up there, let me pray for us before we go any further and ask the Lord for his help. Father, we pray that you'll encourage us in our gospel living and encourage us in our gospel growth and encourage us to do it as a church family. And so as we listen to your word, we pray that you'll encourage us to listen well and to love one another for the sake of our own salvation, for the clarity of the good news of your son Jesus, and for your glory. All of these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. To John then reads this. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Well, please keep that open in front of you as we look at it together. And as we do that, I'm sure all of us will be able to think of moments where clear instructions have been given by a parent to a child so that the child doesn't endanger themselves, 
so that the child avoids a really clear and serious threat. So I'm sure that we've all heard parents say, or maybe we have been parents that have said, don't eat that, don't touch that, it's too hot, or don't listen to what that slightly odd friend of yours in your class says about you or about the world, it's not true. These are all instructions from a parent to keep a child safe and secure from harm. And this evening we're listening to the instructions given by John 2, verse 1, the elect lady. That's John's way of describing the church to whom he writes and her children. These are instructions from God the Father to his children. And John writes to this church, younger members, older members, those who are spiritually mature, those who have more recently become committed followers of Jesus, everyone, every single believer, mature or otherwise, John means for all of them to lean in and listen carefully to John's instructions as God our Father passes them on to this church. We saw in our series in 1 John that false teaching had been creeping around the church, a teaching which was encouraging people to move on from the apostles' teaching, to move away from what they had heard about Christ. And it turns out that as we look at the second letter that John writes, false teaching hasn't gone anywhere. Turns out it's not going to go anywhere, not until Jesus comes back. And so John's second letter instructing them is to unite together, fend off the threat of false teaching, and serves ultimately as a reminder that this will be an ongoing battle for churches and Christians until Jesus returns one day to silence false teaching forever. In the meantime, John has three things to say to the church this evening, three encouragements that the church needs to hear in response to the false teaching that they're hearing, three encouragements that they need to carry on fighting for the true gospel and to believe it and to share it. You'll see them appear on the screen behind me. You'll see them on the back of the little sheet that you were given on your way in in the Bible. You might like to uh, scribble a few things down there if that would be of use. But the first thing that we see in these verses is John's genuine pleasure that these believers that he writes to are genuine believers in a genuine church believing in the genuine gospel of the genuine Jesus. You already walk in the truth of Jesus, says John. We're not sure whether this is the result of a personal visit or whether John has heard of a report, but John rejoices greatly in verse 4 to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. If I asked you to call to mind a place that is familiar and dear to you as an individual or familiar and dear to you as a family, the sort of place where you can walk for miles and miles without ever exhausting the wonderful scenery around about you, where would you pick? What comes to mind? For me, one contender amongst many would be a long beach that I went to once on the west coast of Portugal. It borders the Atlantic Ocean. There's nobody around about us. There's no kiosks. There's nobody trying to sell anything. Nobody's offering me a back rub. There's just miles and miles of uninterrupted sand and sea, punctured only by the occasional surfer. For you, it could be a walk on the Hebridean Islands, a national trust site, a forest that you can just wander in for hours and hours and never, ever get bored. Well, John rejoices to find the church walking in the truth of Jesus. 
putting one gospel foot in front of the other, living according to Jesus' gospel and his teaching, exploring every hour, every day, the inexhaustible gospel scenery, the wonderful gospel scenery that they see around about them as they walk in the truth. That word is mentioned five times in the first four verses, truth. And the word command or commandment is used four times in verses four, five, and six. And for John, these are the marks of a healthy church. He rejoices greatly that they're not static in their faith, but they're actively, faithfully moving in step with the gospel, in step with Jesus, in step with everything that he taught, in step with all of the commandments that the Father gave. It's something that every single child in the church can do, old or young. It's something that gives John real joy. And it's something for us to take real joy in as well. As we look at our lives as individuals, in what ways can we too rejoice that our lives are marked by walking in the truth of Jesus, just as we were commanded to by the Father? I'm sure at times we would say that we walk slowly, with real struggle in our hearts and in our lives. And then at other times we walk with more of a gospel spring in our step. Genuine thankfulness. Genuine gratitude and delight. Either way, John would simply rejoice that we are walking in the truth. Just as we were commanded to by our God. But John knows that this church needs further instructions. There are those that walk in the truth of Jesus... But as we'll see later on, there are those that most certainly don't. You might have noticed that John only finds some of the church, verse 4, walking in the truth. And if John's first encouragement is to see genuine Christians and to be rejoicing in the genuine conversion of some, if John's first encouragement is to look at the church and to be thankful for genuine faith, then his second encouragement is for these individual Christians to walk together in the love of Jesus. That's the second thing we'll see this evening, to walk together in the love of Jesus. I don't really have too many fond memories of my days in the boys' brigade. I remember being berated by the section leader for wearing my hat back to front one Monday evening. Clearly, eight-year-old Scott wasn't happy with the status quo of the boys' brigade uniform and was trying to start a trend. Not one that went down well, let me tell you that. But that wasn't the worst moment. The worst moment by far was during one of those end-of-year parades where we all had to line up and walk into a hall and line up. Seemingly thousands of parents were gathered, taking photographs, waving to their sons, and our group, for whatever reason, was chosen to walk in first into this hall that we were in. And you might have thought that by the age of eight or nine, walking in a straight line might be something that we could do. You'd be wrong. We completely botched it. We all ended up walking in the right direction, towards the right place, but we were totally out of sync, totally out of step with one another, walking at entirely different paces to the person next to us and behind us. It was a total mess. And I can still hear the haunting noise of the parents' laughter ringing in my ears to this day. Now, how different that would have been if we had walked in together at the same pace, at the same speed as we were supposed to. And John says to the church here, you're walking in the truth of the gospel. That's great. 
That gives me great joy. Now love one another by walking together, synchronized, harmoniously, as a church family. John creates this wonderful little virtuous circle, this little virtuous cycle at the end of verse 5, where he says, Love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. He says to the church, walk in the truth of the gospel and love one another by doing everything you can to do it together. Walk in the truth of the gospel and love one another by doing everything you can to encourage others around about you to also walk in the truth of the gospel. That is what it means to love one another, says John. Don't do it out of step with one another, like the junior section of the 128 Company Glasgow. But do it together. See, John reminds this church that walking in the truth of Jesus, just as the Father commands, that is not a single player game. It's a team sport. And there are a million and one reasons why this church in particular could have been forced apart from one another. There are a million and one reasons why this church could have been pulled apart, perhaps by a variety of false teaching, gospel tweaking, all of the uncertainty, all of the confusion, all of the relational tension that comes in a situation like that. But John's challenge to this church to whom he writes, his challenge to us this evening, is to respond to that by spiritually linking arms, spiritually holding hands, and walking as one in the truth of the gospel together. So imagine with me that next Sunday morning, a church gathers together where each individual arrives thinking something like this. Well, I know that I've done my part to ensure that my faith is as strong as it can be this week. It's now up to everybody else to pull their weight. I focused on making sure that I know the gospel, that I grow in the gospel. If somebody else is struggling around about me in church, well, that's their responsibility to sort themselves out. Or maybe more likely, I'll walk with some of the church. Perhaps those that are in step with me or the ones that I'm most able to keep up with. But not the rest. Not until they catch up or not until they slow down. Now, that would be a church where individuals walk in the truth of the gospel, but it would not be a church where they collectively walked in the love of the gospel. Instead, imagine with me the same church family gathering together on a Sunday morning where phone calls, text messages, coffees with friends have been centered around a desire to love one another by walking together in the teaching of Jesus. Imagine the lift it would be when someone approaches you on a Sunday and says, I was praying for you this past week. How did you get on? Imagine the lift it would be for someone when you approach them and say, it was so good to see you at Life Group on Wednesday, on Thursday. I thought your answers were so helpful, your prayers so encouraging. In fact, it was just great that you were there. Imagine how helpful it would be during a Bible study, during a one-to-one, during a conversation around church to say, actually, I don't think that's what the Bible says on that particular issue or that particular topic. Let me show you from God's word what he actually says. In that second church gathering, imagine the growth that that church family would see. I've been here for around eight months now. I'm very pleased to say that I've seen plenty of these things already. 
And I don't say that so that we rest on our laurels. Instead, I say that so that we are encouraged to keep going and to keep growing, to really, really make it a habit and a part of our church family life together. These are not things that we can take for granted. These are things that God gives us, that he sustains, but they're things that we need to encourage in our lives and in the lives of others. All of these things are going to help us to grow, and all of these things are going to help us to fend off that which is false, that which is not true. And that's the last thing for us to look at this evening. You already walk in the truth of Jesus, walk together in the love of Jesus, and then thirdly, abide in his truth as you refuse and refute false teaching. In our remaining seven verses, John gives the church a reminder of the symptoms of false teaching, the dangers of false teaching, and then the remedy for false teaching. So the symptoms in verse 7 are those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's possibly an idea that a pure and a holy God couldn't ever come to earth as a man, couldn't ever come to earth as flesh, and so they deny that Jesus was ever a man. Or it could possibly be a denial that Jesus really was the Messiah, that he really was the Savior, that he really was who he said he was, that salvation is only found through him, that he is the truth. But either way, the false teaching in these verses denies something of Jesus' identity, It denies something of Jesus' authority. It denies something of the veracity of his words. It's teaching that listens to what Jesus says is true and instead says it's false. Often to make the message of Christianity, the message of the gospel, more palatable, easier to swallow, more impressive for the listener, for the speaker. And that's true of all false teaching throughout the years. It might change its mask, but it always tries to do exactly the same thing. False teaching always takes the screws that hold the gospel together and just loosens them, even slightly, but loosens them nevertheless. False teaching will deny that Jesus really was God, that Jesus really came as a man, that Jesus really was the Messiah. The deceivers that John mentions here always repeat the words of the great deceiver, Satan. Did God really say that? When in reality, he very plainly did. John says that these false teachers, verse 7, have gone out into the world. That's the same description that he used for them in his first letter, as is the phrase antichrist, the word antichrist. And his warning to this church is clear. These individuals now teach something that sounds more and more like the world in which they live rather than the Jesus that they left. And those are ultimately the symptoms of false teaching. So what are the dangers? Well, let's look at verses 8 and 9. John's command for the church is to watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. You might be somebody or know somebody who has done a bit of sailing over the years. My father and his father were in that category. They both sailed in their younger years. And if they were to purchase and to renovate a sailing boat, making it fit for purpose, spending hours and hours of manpower to make it seaworthy, they would certainly make sure that it was safely moored every single evening. 
If they forgot to drop the anchor, if they forgot to secure it to the dock, then the tidal forces of the world would have caused it to just gradually drift further and further out to sea. And if you've ever fallen asleep on a lilo on holiday, you'll know exactly what I mean. See, John says to allow false teaching to permeate our churches, to allow it to sneak into our lives, to allow it to sneak into what we say on a Sunday and throughout the week, to allow it to sink its roots down into what we believe, into what we share with with one another. To allow that is to detach ourselves from our gospel mirrorings. To allow that is to run the very, very serious risk of the tidal forces of the world, just ever so slowly, but ever so surely, pulling us further and further away from the genuine teaching of Jesus. The risk is that we are deceived. The risk is that we are sucked in by something that is false. The risk is that we drift away from Christ. We drift away from his teaching and we lose our full reward that John mentions in verse 8. See, the risk of drifting away from the gospel, that risk of drifting away from the forgiveness, the eternal life, the riches of the new creation, that's not to scare us, but it's a clear motivation for us to be determined to drop our anchors into the truth of who Jesus is and what he taught every single day, every single week. John reiterates to the church, verse 9, to avoid the temptation to go on ahead, to depart from the teaching of Christ like these false teachers have done, but instead to abide in the teaching of Christ and therefore to have both the Father and the Son. See, as a church family, as individual Christians, we love one another by refusing to abandon or compromise the foundation upon which our salvation rests. Why? Eternity is at stake. False gospels, moving on from Jesus, does not lead to an eternity with our God in a renewed creation. Instead, they risk the loss of everything that John and the apostles have worked for. And that means that if we hear someone, perhaps around St. Andrews, in our places of work, in our lecture theatres, as we spend time with one another, if we hear someone suggesting that we don't need certain parts of Jesus' teaching, if they undermine the authority of the writing of the apostles, you and I have a gospel duty as a child of God to safeguard and protect the gospel and to protect those who listen from hearing that which is false. We're not being pedantic. We're not being unloving. We're not being fundamentalistic in our beliefs. We are, to use John's language, watching ourselves. We are, to use John's language, loving one another. The lives, the eternities of those listening to false teachers are in jeopardy otherwise. And so John says, watch yourselves as a church together. Moor yourselves to the gospel of Jesus. Which leads us nicely on to the remedy for false teaching, which is the last thing we'll look at this evening. Verses 10 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, i.e. the teaching of John, the teaching of Jesus, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. 
So you might know already that 2,000 years ago, men and women would have gathered in one another's homes, in one another's houses, to meet as a church family. Someone's house wasn't just where they ate and drank, although it was. It was where they would have assembled to sing together, to encourage one another, to remind one another of the gospel as they listened to God's word being taught clearly, faithfully. And so John says, when it comes to false teaching, when it comes to false teachers, every single church is in lockdown level five of tier three, or whatever the most extreme level of lockdown was. I can't remember now. Do not let them in at all. Keep them out. Don't give any teaching spots to a false teacher. Don't give them a hearing for the sake of politeness. Don't give them a hearing for the sake of balance. Don't let them in. I remember one year when I was a staff worker with UCCF, working with the Christian unions in Edinburgh, encouraging students to speak to their friends who didn't know Jesus about Jesus. There was a moment where somebody in a committee meeting, a planning meeting, suggested a certain speaker to come in and do some talks for non-Christians who were going to come and listen to the good news of Jesus. And he was the pastor of a church that would be really very different to the church that I knew, to the church that taught the gospel really clearly. And I remember a few of the students brilliantly looking this guy up online, listening to one or two of his talks, and then collectively deciding that they weren't going to ask him to come and speak at the CU. And that sort of behavior is exactly what John is talking about here in these verses. It's nothing personal. It's not character assassination. It's a simple recognition that false gospels taught by false teachers are not welcome, not around the genuine people of God. Simply put, we love the members of our church family too much to give a platform to those that might try and lead them into anything false. And it's something that perhaps we as a church family, again, have been good at spotting and fending off. And if that is true, can I encourage us to be really thankful to God for protecting us? But again, can I encourage us not to rest on our laurels? Let's never allow complacency to relax our attitude towards false teaching and false teachers. Instead, John says to this church and to us today that walking together in the truth and the love of Jesus, that is your first and best line of defense against false teaching and false gospels. With rugby, NFL, and football over my screens over the past few months, I've time and time again heard commentators and pundits talking about the dangers of a poor, disorganized defense. And by contrast, I've heard commentators talking about the virtues, extolling the virtues of a well-organized defensive performance. And if you've ever watched a smaller team upset the odds and beat a bigger team the commentators will often say something like, do you know, the team worked really hard as a unit. The team worked really, really hard together to defend themselves. They made themselves impossible to break down. Similarly, you hear managers of teams playing against disciplined opponents, opponents that are really playing for one another, trying really, really hard for everybody else on their team. And these managers shake their head and say, we just couldn't get through their defense. Well, John says to this church, and he says to us, walk together in truth and in love as a church family 
and make it impossible for false teaching to slip through your defense. Walk together in truth and in love as a church family and make it impossible for false teaching to break you down. Instead, love one another by abiding in the teaching of Jesus and you'll find that false teaching will find it very, very hard to sink its roots into our church family. Loads more that could be said than that. Why don't I pause and why don't I pray for us as a church and then we'll finish our time together this evening by singing. Father, we thank you for the words that John writes to this church, and we thank you for the way in which you help us to see very clearly the command to love one another by walking together in the truth of Jesus. Father, we're aware that there are many deceivers, those who would teach us something different to what Jesus taught us, and we pray that you would help us to abide collectively in the teaching of Jesus. Help us to know exactly how to do that, to love one another this week. Help us to know how to look out for one another, how to point one another to the truth of your Son. And would you encourage us, Father, and remind us that if we abide in what you have taught us, if we abide in the gospel of Jesus, we have you and we have him. Thank you for that wonderful encouragement and that wonderful promise. All these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.